Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, welcome to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. For episode 281, I have a guest interview with Zach Kushner. Zach is a former Division I offensive lineman for the University of Southern California. One of his jobs as an offensive lineman was to pack on as much weight as possible. With a target weight of nearly 300 pounds, Zach had to work hard at gaining weight while at USC. After college, with football no longer consuming his attention, he decided he wanted to embark on a health and fitness journey. In this episode, I chat with Zach about how he decided on leveraging a ketogenic diet to drop a huge portion of his college playing weight, how he adjusted to his second goal of regaining some muscle weight after the initial weight loss post-collegiate football career, and what his staples are that make up his low-carb ketogenic lifestyle and how his training regimen has changed since leaving football. Uh, Before we get rolling and welcome Zach onto the show, I want to share some upcoming guests and topics with you currently on the hopper in the uh, currently in the hopper and up on the show. Patreon page is an interview with uh, Dr. Robert Kiltz, who is a vocal advocate for the ketogenic nutrition and runs a successful fertility clinic. Uh, I was able to bring a former guest, Dr. Mike Nelson back onto the show and take a closer look at one of my consultation clients, Ashkar Nanavati who is gearing up for a massive hundred plus day expedition project in freezing cold temperatures. One of the reasons Ashkar reached out to me originally is he's planning on doing this project, utilizing a pretty strict ketogenic protocol because this project is self-supported. He'll be pulling a sled of around 400 pounds and it's going to just take him quite a while and it's going to be quite logistically challenging. So he was interested in that way of eating in order to help out the logistics of this type of a project. So uh, it was cool to have Dr. Mike come on and shed some light on some of the details that were maybe a little bit above my head that, uh, that we originally talked about. I think folks are going to really love the discussion the three of us had on that one. Uh, Also coming back on the show is my friend, Aaron Alexander. Aaron had joined me for episode 269 back in December. So we are going to, we are taking a look at diving in a little more closely with his kind of full body alignment methods. Uh, In the previous episode, we talked quite a bit about breathing and just uh, kind of presence and awareness. And when it came to that sort of thing. Uh, I will also be connecting with uh, Dr. Ethan Weiss at some point in April to look at his work with ketogenic low-carb diets and their relationship with metabolism and cardiology. So that one's a little bit more down the road, but that will be being recorded at some point in, in April. So if you want to hear Ethan's take on that sort of stuff, look, look forward to that one coming up down the road. All right. If interested in ad-free early release episodes of the HPO podcast, you can access these through the show's Patreon page. Links and details can be found at zachbetter.com forward slash HPO. You can also support monetarily through a quick one-time link donation on that same website, zachbetter.com forward slash HPO, or by supporting the show sponsors, which often offer discounts for listeners. Details for all of the show sponsors can be found at zachbetter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. 
All these links can also be found in the show notes. If you want to support the show in other ways, you can do so by liking and subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and or YouTube. If you find an episode you like, please consider sharing it with your friends and family. Uh, Also, if you want to stay up to date on some things, you can also sign up for my newsletter at zachbitter.com forward slash newsletter. If you sign up for that, you'll just get some updates on things that I am reading, listening to, and maybe a little more written details into kind of what my thoughts are around those specific topics. All right. Uh, Before we get rolling, this episode's sponsors include Bioptimizers, Biome Breakthrough, and Element. It can be difficult to eat all the right things all the time. So that's when Biome Breakthrough can shine. Biome Breakthrough contains powerful probiotics and prebiotics, as well as one of a kind ingredient called IGY Max. IGY Max is a patented egg-based protein that enhances gut health, reverses damage caused by antibiotics, and even helps with immunity threats. By taking Biome Breakthrough, you can feed your good gut bacteria. The best time to take Biome Breakthrough is first thing in the morning, mix it in eight ounces of water and drink it on an empty stomach to experience less sickness, fewer gut problems, and less gas and bloating. As always, Bioptimizers and Biome Breakthrough are risk-free with their impressive 365-day money-back guarantee. No questions asked. Biomebreakthrough.com forward slash human lets them know that you came to them through this podcast. And if you throw in human 10, that's human one zero, you'll get 10% off your next order to go along with that 365 day money back guarantee. So head over to biomebreakthrough.com forward slash human, or if interested, you can also get those details at zachbetter.com forward slash HBO sponsors. All links are also included in the show notes. Also elements is offering for just $5 shipping, a eight flavor sample pack of their electrolytes. Element makes an easy to use electrolyte powder that comes in these very convenient packets. I like to add one to about two liters of water to help stay hydrated during training sessions. I like to use the fruity flavored options in water, but often also turn to their chocolate flavor with my coffee in the morning. Element electrolytes are sugar-free, no artificial ingredients, no fillers, and compact with a thousand milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. If you want to check them out and support HPO along the way, you can head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. You can also find that at zachbetter.com forward slash HPO sponsors or with the links in the show notes. All right, folks, now let's welcome Zach onto the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Thanks for taking some time to come on and, and chat today. Of course, appreciate it. Honor, honored to be on here, Zach. Yeah, I, you know, I, one of the reasons I, uh, I started following you because I saw a picture pop up, I think it was on Twitter, and it was like a, you had a glass of like somewhere in the neighborhood of eight raw eggs that you were about to drink. <laughs> it's like, I got to see what this guy's up to. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I, I saw a lot. Of, you know, why not get in on the trend here? I, I do it every now and then, just just for the convenience. And um, I didn't really expect it to get the the attention that it did. And yes, it was, it was kind of funny. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to talk about some of your nutrition practice and stuff. But before we kind of hop into all of that, you want to share with our listeners a little bit about your your background. I think uh, you were a former D one football player, and uh, then decided to uh, 
try to cut back on some of the some of the weight that I'm sure football was kind of a little more geared towards? Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, before uh, moving on into the corporate world, I, I played uh, football. I uh, was a defensive tackle, um, weighing in at a top weight of 293.2 pounds. I have it down to the tenth there. Um, you know, it was a great, great time. Uh, a lot of strength training, as you can imagine. And um, to be honest, I wanted to be heavier. I was trying to get to 300 pounds, but uh, no matter how much I ate, I, I just for some reason could not gain a, another ounce. Uh, worked with the nutritionist a little bit, um, which is really where a lot of my interest for food uh, grew out of and, and nutrition. I mean, of course, as an athlete, I already had somewhat of an interest beforehand, but working with the nutritionist was was really cool to, to try out a, a couple of other things. Um, and then after my career had ended, you know, I realized I can't be walking around at 293 pounds for the rest of my life. This isn't going to be good for my hips, uh, ankles, uh, joints, um, or my cardiovascular health. And, um, that's really when I got into the whole, uh, low carb thing. I had read about it online on some bodybuilding forums and thought, all right, one day when my, my career is over, I'm going to try this to shed the weight. Yeah. is you know, it's interesting when you think about just different sports and kind of what's the requirements there and with, with football, especially when you're on the line and the offensive line, there's, there's a lot of stories out there about, you know, guys coming in and having to gain a bunch of weight in order to kind of make the cut, so to speak. And I, I remember I grew up in Wisconsin, so it was like kind of standard, uh, to be a green Bay Packer fan. There wasn't a whole lot of good ways around it. Oh, so yeah. And, and when I first started paying attention, we had, there was a guy on the team called Gilbert Brown and, uh, he was like somewhere in the, like almost mid three hundreds. It's just a massive guy. Like he was so big. They actually had, I think this was probably semi-local to Wisconsin, but the Burger King in town named their Whopper. They made like a a version of the Whopper called like the Gilbert burger or something like that. It was (laughs) essentially three Whoppers. Yeah. So uh, I just remember thinking like, as you know, even as a kid, like, man, how does that, how do you even get that big? And, you know, I didn't really have any info about nutrition back then, but I remember after he retired, it was like, I saw a picture of him maybe a couple of years later and he looked like he was, had lost like half the weight that he had had when he was playing in the NFL. And my first, I was like, well, why would he do that? And then I kind of just looked into it a little more and he realized it's just like, you know, you look at the life expectancy of, uh, you know, someone who you know, has a full career in the NFL as a, at any position probably, but as a, the lineman, I think it's like when they retire, they, they oftentimes probably go that route for, for reasons similar to yours. Oh yeah. Uh, linemen, um, how they become half their size, like you had mentioned, or, you know, even a bunch of the guys that I played with, it, it's crazy to see the transformations that they've made really taking care of, of, of their health. And I mean, it's, just incredible too, seeing how, how, how big some people can get um, <laughs> when you, when you compare that their old selves to, to their new selves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you finished, uh, you finished football in college. Was it something where you were like, you were pretty sure that football was going to be a collegiate thing and then you'd move on to uh, a corporate job or was it, was there any like NFL aspirations or pro football aspirations after that? So I, I knew that um, my career probably wouldn't go very far beyond college. Um, uh, of course, you know, I, I love the game a lot. So I thought, you know, I'm going to push this as far as I can, see what I can do. Um, spend some time doing the indoor uh, arena football. If you've ever watched that, the mm-hmm. field's about half the size. It's very offensive centric. So as a D lineman, that's probably the you know most boring position uh, you, you can play there. But I, I was going to chase it no matter what. 
Um, so, so did that, uh, you know, and then I, I could kind of see, you know, um, I'm not going to go much further and it's better to, um, fall forward onto my degree. Now, uh, I studied finance and went to a great business school and thought, you know, it's, uh, it's about time, uh, you know, support myself. Um, and, um, I was uh, dating a girl who's my, my wife now, you know, when I wanted to, to start our, our, our financial future uh, as soon as possible and, um, be able to provide, um, so yeah, I, I pretty much knew that, um, you know, the, the, the likelihood of, of me going uh, pro and having a successful NFL career was, was going to be very small. Um, and so it, it didn't hurt too much. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm real, real happy with, with how everything went. Um, I, you know, I had a better college experience than I ever could have imagined. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, sports, I, I ran cross country and track in college. And I think like when I look back on my college experience, obviously there was the academic side of things too, that was valuable, but you just learn so much when you kind of have that dual purpose, I think, where you're, you're there and you have a team atmosphere and things like that. There's just so much you can kind of learn from those experiences that carry forward. Even if like college is kind of the end of the road for, for that side of, uh, side of things. When you finished, did you, did you immediately think like, okay, I'm going to drop some of this weight. Uh, you mentioned that like low carb was something that was kind of interested you before you started it. Was it, uh, mostly a nutritional target then at first, or were you doing any sort of like training differently in order to kind of shed some weight? So it was both. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm addicted to the weight room. So, um, when, when I first ended my football career, I thought, you know, let me give my body a rest. Cause even though I want to be in the gym right now, uh, it's probably best just to lay off a little, you know, let, let my muscles, my central nervous system and, 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 you know, my, my head psychologically, uh, you know, football takes a toll. It was time to rest a little bit. Um, so, you know, gave a couple, couple of weeks of low carb route. I thought, you know, it's probably a bad idea to go too extreme, too fast. Uh, I, I don't want to, I, I started eliminating uh, processed foods and sugars, you know, like a, see a Snickers bar that someone offers me, I'm not going to eat that. I don't, I didn't eat a lot of sugar anyways, but this time I started becoming a conscious about not eating processed foods and processed sugars. Um, and then I switched over to doing a slow carb, you know, more brown rice, uh, quinoa, um, some starchy carbs rather than, you know, uh, quick acting in carbs. And then from there, I shifted on in, into keto, where I then started tracking my um, my macros, uh, specifically my, my my carbs, keeping them under like uh, 25 uh, net grams per day. And the weight just started to melt off. It was it was incredible. So um, I, I realized not only was I, was I losing weight, but I was I was feeling really good too. So I stuck with it. And you know, I'm, I'm not keto 100% of the time now. I, I am a lot, um, but I'm, I'm generally eating low carb because uh, it just feels great. Mm -hmm. When you first decided to get like pretty strict with keto in the early days and keep those 25 net grams of carbs as kind of your target, did you, were you being conscious of kind of like protein levels at that point? Cause I know sometimes when people will program their ketogenic diet, they'll skew fairly low in protein too, relative to, to other people, uh, partly just cause you're probably gonna get higher ketone levels by doing that. But you know, I, I think the jury's still out as to, unless you're doing it from a therapeutic reason, like whether that's actually necessary or not. So did, were you kind of watching protein as well, or was you, were you pretty relaxed with that? I, I was keeping my protein high just about the whole time. I mean, um, th there were a couple of where they, they become too, too fat focused and, you know, from a, a health standpoint, a muscle standpoint 
some point, somebody who, who likes to lift, that's one of the worst things you, you can do. Maybe, you know, maybe short term, you feel all right when you first get that, that big rush of ketones, but you're not, you're not going to last uh, very long in the weight room if you're not, if you're not consuming a proper amount of protein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm guessing like, was your, was your mindset going in? Like, I want to lose weight, but preserve some of the lean mass that I'm sure you accumulated over the years while you were preparing for all the football games and practices and stuff. Oh yeah. And, and there's a large psychological aspect to that too. Um, I, I knew that if I was going to lose weight and um, get this new uh, desire, I was going to lose uh, muscle. No, there's going to be no way around it, but I was willing to lose some strength and some muscle of, of course, but I did my absolute best to preserve as much of it as I could. Um, you know, my, when I look at what, what I was tracking and seeing some of my weights start to go down. I mean, obviously when, when you're 290 something pounds, your, your weight's going to look different than when you get to, you know, closer to 200, 205 or, or, or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, it was really hard psychologically, but I did my, my best to preserve it. I, I think I got a little too aggressive at the end of my first big cut. And I really felt my strength and my energy and everything just plummet. And at that point, I'm like, all right, t- time to put some, some of this weight back on, uh, hopefully in the form of, of, of muscle. Mm-hmm. Were you targeting a specific kind of weight spot when you first decided to try to start losing it? Um, I was targeting a six pack. <laughs> there you uh, go. Coming from being a big D lineman, I was like, you know, however many pounds I need. If I need to get down to 185, I can do this at 250. I'll, I'll do it at 250. It was as long as I could get that six pack. Um, and um, w- once I got down to around, if I recall off the top of my head, around 210 pounds, I, I had a nice six pack. Um, so my, my, my cut was 92 pounds. I, I got to figure out a way to get my weight up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Cause it's kind of eliminates like the nebulous number chasing on a scale, which uh, obviously is can can change for reasons that aren't necessarily indicative of your progress or not. So the six pack though, I think that's a fairly good indication you're heading in the right direction from a lean body mass standpoint. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so when you, uh, when you first started, did, uh, did you have any type of structure in terms of like meal timing or anything like that? I'm always interested to hear about how people space out their nutrition when they're doing kind of low carb type uh, practices. So, so at first it was just, Hey, you know, I, I need to hit my uh, calorie and macro goals on a daily basis. I, I don't care when I eat it. Um, but, but I, I'm on a 24 hour basis here. Uh, eventually I started to go down the, the uh, rabbit hole, so to speak in uh, nutrition. And I uh, saw a lot of people talking about intermittent fasting and uh, keto and how they go well together, especially uh, once you um, have been doing keto for a while and your appetite naturally suppresses how IFing just becomes uh, natural, um, which uh, in my experience it did. So I, I started doing that for, for a little while. Um, but uh, other than that, nothing, nothing too extreme. Mm-hmm. Did uh did you, did, what did it end up kind of looking like? Was it still kind of three meals mostly in a normal kind of fashion? I know like for me, what ended up happening is if I just like intuitively ate, I started gravitating towards like higher calorie meals, but less of them. And that's what felt right. And then I had to kind of manipulate things for training and stuff when I'd get into like kind of peak training and things like that. But uh, when I wasn't like when I was in off season, so to speak, it felt like that's kind of where my body wanted it to go. Was there anything like that with your, your, uh, experience? Oh yeah, that, that's exactly what happened. Actually. Um, 
you know, going keto, it really eliminated a lot of my cravings for, for random snacks throughout the day. So I started seeing myself either having uh, three or if I was uh, IFing uh, two bigger, higher calorie meals and, and feeling completely fine that way. Um, and then there are sometimes, you know, where, where maybe my schedule was, was thrown off a little bit. Um, and I, I started tinkering around with a little bit of uh, maybe a nutrition timing. Like, all right, you know, I, I have a budget of 25 carbs today. I'm going to have 15 of them right before I, I uh, go to train to, to get a little bit of energy in. And then, uh, you know, the remaining few I'll, I'll, I'll eat with, uh, with another meal or something. Did you notice when you kind of got back in the weight room that you had to kind of adjust to essentially using fat primarily or exclusively in some cases as a fuel source versus what you would have been having before? Oh yeah. I mean, um, I was, I was reading that, you know, the first two to three weeks uh, are tough for a lot of people. For me, I would say that first five weeks was, was really tough. Uh, I, I not only had the, uh, you know, brain fog and some of that keto flu people deal with, but in, in the weight room, like I felt like I was just bonking a lot sooner than, than I should have been. And the weight started to feel real heavy. And so I thought, you know, maybe I'll lighten up uh, a little bit here and, and wait for my body to pull through on the other side. But yeah, it, it was, it was really tough, both physically and, and psychologically when, uh, that explosiveness wasn't there at first. And, um, just, you know, feeling weaker from, from not being able to lift the, the same amount of, of weight as, as before. Did you notice that like your strength and energy kind of gradually came back or was there a point where it just kind of flipped and flipped on and all of a sudden you felt like, okay, now I'm, now I'm back. And it just kind of stuck with it as long as you were uh, kind of in line with what you were trying to do dietarily. So as far as strength, I feel like that uh, gradually started rising. I mean, not to the point, um, you know, of when I was 293. So strength was a little bit harder to gauge than, you know, energy and how I was feeling mentally, but, um, you know, judging it as as best as I could with weight going down and and trying to preserve as much muscle strength as possible at about that five week point, I could really feel things going back up and taking a a turn, uh, for the better. My, my endurance was a lot better. The, The weight was easier to put back on the, uh, on the barbell, Um, but then from, you know, like a a mental aspect of it, um, that's when my energy really just, you know, turned, turned around and, um, you know, my thoughts became more clear again. And I was like, okay, I'm glad I stuck with this. Um, and and if I can continue on this trajectory here, things are going to be real nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's always interesting because I think like, that's one thing that I see a lot of variance in with the people I've worked with is just kind of like how long it takes them to maybe adapt to stuff. Like for me, I had kind of a weird experience where the first four weeks, it was sort of like, I'd have a day where I felt like that, where I felt like everything was kind of weak, a little bonky and like, just felt like everything I did took a little bit extra effort to produce the same result. Then I'd have a day where I felt great. And then I'd have another one where I didn't. And it just kind of like oscillated back and forth for about four weeks before I started feeling like kind of consistent with it. And when I'm working with athletes that want to switch over when they want to kind of go strict keto, I usually ask them like, can you take a four week off season <laughs> from training? <laughs> Cause I find that sometimes that makes it a little, little easier. You don't have to kind of be, feel like you're getting hammered from multiple angles when you can reduce the, the training load a little bit while you're adapting. Oh yeah. If, 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 if you're a, you know, a lifter and you want to all of a sudden switch to keto, for the first time, I, I would definitely advise uh, changing your training block to something a little bit lighter, uh, perhaps taking a deload. I know some people like to take a week off every now and then. Um, that's 
you know, that's definitely the, the time to, to ease up in the weight room when, you, when you're changing what you're eating. I mean, and it makes sense, too, if you take a step back and look at it, um, you know, you, you get your energy from what you consume. And if all of a sudden you're different, you know, why, why wouldn't you? So, um, yeah, definitely people, I think, uh, when, when they want to transition to keto, they need to make that connection to um, how they're going to feel in, in the weight room or on, on the bike or in, in the pool or whatever athletic activity they're doing. Mm-hmm. When you first started, started out and started to see some of the progress, did your like friends, family and, and teammates, former teammates, like take notice and wonder like what you were doing differently? Oh yeah. Everyone was asking like, you know, are you on some crazy like workout routine? Are you living <laughs> in the gym? Like, what are you doing? This and that. It's like, you know, yeah, I, I was spending a lot of time in the, in the gym. I, it was in my apartment complex. Uh, why, why wouldn't I be there? All I had to do was go down the elevator, but well, it wasn't like I, I was living in there and doing something as extreme as they, they thought I, I was. And I told them, no, it's just this, this diet that I'm doing, you know, and I don't even like to call it a diet. I like to call it a, a, a way of eating, to be honest. And uh, people were saying, well, pigs and you know all this fat and they're like isn't that unhealthy like that's a lot of calories how are you losing weight you, you, you must be doing something crazy in addition to that i'm like you know you come over and watch me eat if you want like <laughs> what i'm doing i have no i have no reason to make this up so yeah people definitely took notice and i think one of the funny things was um i, I was living in los angeles uh when i started uh went up to the bay area for uh, for a couple of months um for work and came back down and not only had I shed all this weight, but I, I cut my hair too. And um, my my now wife, then uh, then girlfriend, people saw us walking around together, and uh, they they thought she had dumped me and was, was dating somebody new. And it's like <laughs> no, exactly, just you know, two thirds his size now and got short hair. Yeah, no, I bet you got a lot of kind of double takes from people who hadn't seen you in a while but knew who you were. It's like, what did he do? <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was pretty funny. Did you notice just, uh, I mean, you were obviously a fit and an athletic person just to be able to find yourself playing division one football, but when you like, I mean, I just imagine like dropping that much weight or the way I try to think about it is like, I just, you know, my wife and I just recently moved. So I'm, I'm not too far removed from hauling up boxes and things up flights of stairs. I just think (laughs) like, I remember doing that. I remember thinking like, I mean, this is probably sort of what it'd be like if I would just kind of gain 50 pounds and, and not obviously when it's distributed on your body, you can probably move it a little easier than carrying a box, but, uh, it had to have felt like pretty liberating to move a little more easily through just basic day-to-day stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that, that's one of the huge differences. I mean, I, I remember, uh, particularly this one time I was crossing the street and uh, the countdown was five, four, three, two, one, whatever. I, I got I to run across this crosswalk to make it. And this was when I was kind of at the end of, of my huge bulking phase and I'm uh, breathing a little bit heavy, you know, running across the street. And I'm thinking like, man, this, this isn't good. I shouldn't be like, I mean, I'm in my you know young twenties here and I'm having trouble crossing the street. I'm, I'm probably getting too big. And when I, when I shed the weight off, you know, um, I've never had any feeling like, like that again. I just, I feel so easy to uh, maneuver myself in, in comparison. Um, you know, thinking back to the way that, that I used to feel when I was, when I was getting really big. Um, and yeah, the, that's a great word to use. Uh, liberating, you know, just, just feeling light and, and feeling, feeling healthy. Um, you know, it's, it's wonderful. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I assume based on some of the pictures you've posted online that you hit your goal at this point. And uh, when you kind of got to that point, was there another, was there like a, was there a goal after the goal, the original goal then? So once I, I got down and, and, and hit, hit a six pack uh, goal, um, I might've mentioned it earlier, but in, in case I didn't, uh, I went from 293 pounds to 201 pounds. So I cut a total of 92 pounds. I, I think I got a little too aggressive there at the end. So, um, at that point I'm like, all right, I need to put some of this weight back on. And I figured if I can be anywhere between, uh, 225 and 240 pounds and, uh, you know, maintain a six pack that that should probably be pretty healthy considering, you know, I'm six foot five, those weights aren't um, anything too extreme. So I've, I've found now, um, the way that I'm dedicated to fitness and nutrition that, um, every single year I'm able to weigh a little bit more yet look, uh, like I'm at the same level of uh, leanness or for lack of uh, better terms. So um, I think I've, I've been tracking pretty well on that goal where I've been able to slowly raise my weight, um, but, but keep a, um, a consistent body fat percentage for the most part. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think like, so you kind of find yourself back to the situation you were in, in college where the objective was, okay, let's put on some weight, but this time you maybe had a little bit of a different perception of like what you wanted to do in order to achieve that. And granted trying to push up to 300 pounds at those final stages is probably a little more difficult from just a a food consumption standpoint. But, uh, did you, what did you do differently when you got to 205 and said, okay, now it's time to add some bulk on, did you change your dietary patterns in a way from a macronutrient standpoint at all, or did you just add more of what you had been eating? Yeah. So it's a lot different because I think in college when I was trying to get up to 300 pounds, um, you know, I wanted to be as much muscle as possible, but I wasn't afraid to put on um, any fat either because the, the way, the way I looked at it, you know, I'm a defensive lineman um, and I'm going up against one, a lot of times two offensive linemen, of course, having as much muscle as I can is, is important because I need to move them, but having a lot of fat is important too, because the heavier I am, whether it's, it's muscle or fat, the harder I am for them to move me. So um, back then, fat was a little bit more valuable. Now I'm not worried about being so heavy and being hard for somebody to move. So um, I can make the, the, uh, the focus purely on muscle. So from a, um, a macronutrient standpoint, it's um, a lot lower carb and um, a lot higher protein. Uh, one, one of the unique things about trying to get up to 300 pounds is yeah, of course I'm trying to eat a lot of uh, protein for, for muscle gain, but in working with the nutritionist, you know, she's telling me, you know, if you eat too much protein, you're going to have trouble put, putting on weight because you're going to be satiated way sooner. Um, it takes way too long to digest and, and you're not going to be able to consume as many calories. So, um, um, I, I did make sure, okay, let me not over consume protein and leave as much room for, for carbs as I can. So I can remain hungry or, or now, you know, um, inefficient as an energy source. And so I'm not worried about it, uh, converting to fat at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's interesting. So you were you targeting a specific amount of protein at that point? Or was it like a percentage of your intake? So generally, um, you know, I would follow the guidelines of um, 
one gram of, uh, of, of protein uh, per pound of uh, body weight. But, you know, that's just a general number thrown around because it's easy to calculate. You weigh 200 pounds, eat 200 grams of protein. So um, when it starts getting a little bit tougher as my weight goes up, uh, what, what I do is try and take a best estimate of what my body fat percentages and then eat between one and 1.25 grams uh, per pound of, of lean body mass. Okay. Nice. And, and is, is that what you're, so of what you are or what you're targeting? I mean, so I'm just thinking about like the phase where you're trying to go from 205 to 225 to 240. Oh, so yeah, that, that phase, um, you know, I'm normally at about 1.25% or sorry, 1.25 times my, my lean body mass. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that way I, I can keep my, my calories within a proper range, um, as well and and still have enough fat to be to be feeling good and feeling clear mentally um because you know if if, if protein gets gets too high and, and uh you know crowds out um fat and, and the small amount of carbs that, that, that i eat um i'll start getting real cranky hey folks just a quick reminder that this episode of the human performance outliers podcast is sponsored by my friends at Bioptimizers and their product biome breakthrough as well as my friends at element they make an electrolyte supplement that is easy to use and convenient if you're interested in checking out their products and discounts you can check those out in the show notes or go to zachbetter.com forward slash hpo sponsors Cool. Yeah. So, uh, so, so protein became a little bit more of a focus once you kind of hit, uh, that first goal and then kind of reprogram to hit that second goal. Uh, I am curious about like some of the other aspects of your approach too, cause I know you're, uh, you're no stranger to the weight room. Was there a specific type of training program that you decided to either develop or lean into post football that was a little more specific to kind of lifestyle, uh, the new lifestyle that you were leading versus what would be more applicable for uh, someone on, on the defensive line on the football field? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, when I first got into it, because um, I, I just, you know, didn't want to take the time to to do uh, too much research and, and um, you know, spend a lot of mental effort putting something together. I, I basically did, you know, a modified football workout and was doing that four to, to five days a week, sometimes six. And then I realized, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to do this forever. So I'm, I'm going to need to scale back so I have time, you know, for, for my job, um, for, for my family, for other responsibilities, et cetera. And at that point, I decided, you know, I'm going to incorporate a, a full body workout. Uh, full body will work just great. So I, I switched to a, a three-day-a-week uh, full body program, mainly focusing on the compound list, you know, squat, bench, uh, deadlift, overhead press, uh, and uh, bent over rows. And then I'd add accessories in and, and abs in here and there. And, um, you know, that, that felt really great. I was still hitting everything. Um, I was still, uh, tracking on all, all of my goals. Um, and it just freed up so much time for, for other things. Um, and so from, from there on out, I've, I've primarily been doing, you know, full body, um, you know, three type of week, uh, workouts. Okay, cool. Yeah. I suppose like you eliminate some of the stuff you have to do in practice outside of the strength work stuff, you, you find yourself with a little extra time on your hands. Uh, obviously your career probably filled that quite nicely, but, uh, it is, uh, it's interesting to see kind of what the programming looks like to go alongside it. Cause there's always a, like a conversation around progress being more driven through the nutrition versus the fitness or the training program in general. And I think the reality is it's a combination of both, but 
depending on kind of the goals and the person, it may be a little more skewed one way or the other. Uh, but it sounds like maybe you were probably uh, crediting your nutritional approach a little more specifically to what your goals were outside of just trying to maintain the strength that you you'd had from, from your years in football. Oh yeah. Nutrition was a huge part of it. And it, um, my, my tr- transformation was more uh, due to nutrition than it was to, to working out. I mean, I, I know there's a popular saying out there that you can't outwork a bad diet. And I'd say that's true for 99% of uh, the population. But when you look at some of these athletes who play uh, and compete at an elite level, it's, it's mind boggling when you see the way some of them eat, but then you see the way some of them train. They're, they're not eating very well, but they're, they're training like absolute beast and, and they're out training their diet. Um, when, when you get into the, uh, to the real world, uh, like, like I did and, um, um, I wouldn't be able to afford to, to eat very, very bad. I would, I would lose uh, my, my progress, uh, real fast. And, um, you know, I, I had the benefit myself of having a whole ton of muscle from being 293 pounds. So, um, just from, from research and experience, I realized, Hey, you know, if, if I eat properly, if I, if I hit my protein goals, and uh, I eat healthy, I'm going to preserve a pretty decent amount of muscle. And uh, I'm going to be able to, to melt this fat right off and uh, become healthier and, uh, and look the way that I want to look. And um, lo and behold, it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, did you uh, do anything with like your electrolytes or sodium intake when you switched to a lower carb ketogenic style of eating? I know like blood volume sometimes becomes an issue in terms of, uh, just the, the, the lack of like water retention that you would normally get with the carbohydrates that had been there previously. Oh yeah. I, I started to cramp up, um, a lot easier when, when I went, uh, keto, uh, one of the worst things was, you know, the, the middle of the night waking up with not just one, but two calf cramps. Like I felt like I couldn't move, you know, uh, magnesium, uh, et, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I definitely had to, to be more conscious of my electrolyte intake. Cause if I wasn't, um, uh, uh, I would cramp pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's always an interesting one to me. I feel like I, I I've worked with some folks that they don't seem to need to really manipulate it that much and they do just fine. But other folks, it's like, that's, it's almost like something that they, they look at it like as a supplement where, where it's, uh, they, if they don't have it, it's a uh, really noticeable in their, in their performance and their day-to-day stuff. So, um, it's interesting to always to see what, what, what experience everyone has, who's kind of taken on this type of a dietary pattern. Yeah. I, I in my experience, I've seen more people than not that have needed to up their electrolytes. And, you know, I don't have any proof for this. So my, my thinking is kind of along the lines that, um, a lot a lot of the people that don't need to adjust their electrolytes that, that much, uh, perhaps um, have a less active lifestyle. I'm not saying that, you know, they're, they're not active, but maybe uh, a desk job is compared to something where, where you're up and walking around a, a lot more. Uh, you know, I, I have nothing to back that up. It's just in, in my head, I was thinking the same thing as you. Why is it that some people need to up their electrolytes so much and, and, and others don't? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've played around with it myself. It's like some of it, I think is sort of along lines of what you, what you're saying. Cause I mean, if you're active, chances are you're going to be sweating more and you're going to be losing more water weight in general. So it may just be a little more difficult for your body to find that balance without, without targeting those electrolytes. And, 
you know, for me, the biggest uh, difference is always just seasonal. Uh, you get a hot summer and a cold winter, or even, you know, relatively speaking variance there, you know, as a runner, I'm doing a lot of my training outside. So I get pretty much exposed to those variances in temperature and, you know, my electrolyte uh, consumption goes up quite a bit in the summer months compared to the winter months for sure. In the summer months, definitely. Yes. I mean, you know, spending more, more time outdoors, um, going out to the beach, uh, sun exposure, it's all really going to deplete you uh, a lot faster, especially uh, living out here on the East coast where, you know, we, we get some really cold uh, winters and, you know, you're really forced to stay inside for the most part. And even when you're outside, you're not going to be sweating very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, another question I wanted to ask you, because I'm always curious about this is like with my lifestyle, things are so polarized from like off season to peak training. And then even within peak training, like, you know, a rest day versus a peak training day, I'm training, if I'm training for like a hundred mile race, you know, I might do like a 30 mile long run one day and then take a complete day off the next day. So when someone asks me like, you know, what do you eat in a day? I'm trying to think, well, which day are they trying to figure out about? And then I somewhat envy folks kind of in, in your situation at times where like you have like this structure that stays fairly, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just assuming like when you're, if you go to the gym three times a week, your days aren't going to be calorically that big of a difference. So do you kind of find that you stick to a very specific pattern of types of foods and quantities that just kind of like you sort of plug and play once you know that that's what you prefer and that what's, and that's what works well for you? Uh, for, the, for the most part, yes. I mean, I, I do want to say just hearing, you know, I'm just going to go run 30 miles for, <laughs> for a hundred mile race. That's just like mind boggling. I can't even imagine some of the precision um, involved in your nutrition there, which is absolutely amazing. But yeah, um, generally, you know, if, if I don't have some particular goal, call it gain painting, my, my schedule um, is going to be pretty consistent. My diet's going to be pretty consistent. I'm usually eating the same amount of uh, calories, carbs, fats, proteins, whatever, uh, for, uh, for, for weeks at a time. Um, but will be sometimes, you know, I might have a specific goal in mind, or perhaps I'm running a certain uh, protocol where on training days and on rest days, my nutrition is um, a, a little bit different. But for, for the most part, um, you know, in a, a normal, normal week where there, there's no crazy goal that's set out, really, the, the only difference comes to, um, I would say, meal timing and, and maybe carbohydrates are a little bit higher on training days. Uh, for, for example, um, I like, I like to lift uh, early in the morning, uh, usually around 6am. And so, um, on a, on a lifting day, um, if I'm lifting 6am, I'm, I'm going to uh, eat breakfast. I'm not going to wait till lunch to get my, my, my protein. in. I think, you know, a couple hours is, is too long. So lifting day, I might have uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And prior to the lift, I, I might have, uh, you know, like a tablespoon of, of raw honey or something just to get some, some quick carbs in. And then on a rest day, I'm likely two meals, just going to be lunch and breakfast. If, uh, you know, A, I'm not hungry, B, I, I didn't have a, a big lift in the morning. And my carbs uh, are, are most likely going to be lower because I have no reason for pre-workout carbs if there's no workout that day. But uh, generally, the, the difference between the two isn't, um, isn't very major. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, the other interesting thing I always find is I think when people who aren't really familiar with ketogenic diets or even low carb diets, 
they kind of gravitate towards there's like kind of one way to do this and their mind goes towards a certain set of food groups or, or sometimes even more common, like the foods they can no longer have or that they assume you aren't able to eat any longer. Uh, but the thing I find really interesting is just kind of the spectrum in which you can kind of create a low carb ketogenic diet. So like for me personally, I've been doing it now for about 11 years. So I've tried everything from like mostly plant-based low carb to mostly meat, animal product-based low carb, and then everything in between. Is there uh, was there any like variance with the way you programmed yours or has it been pretty consistent throughout from the, you know, the types of foods that you decided to focus on? Oh, it's, it's definitely varied. So when I, when I first um, started it, it was just all about, you know, what my macros were. I wasn't too concerned about, um, you know, the source of the food, the kind of food, as long as I certain numbers, I was fine with that. So like, uh, you know, I, I might've had a, a day where I didn't have any carbs throughout the day. And, um, you know, I'm walking home and I pass a 7-Eleven and I'm like, you know, that Snickers has 25 grams of carbs in it. I'll still um, be within my, my macros eating a Snickers bar. So why not? Let's do it. Um, the longer whole foods, I'm not gonna go and, you know, squeeze in a Snickers bar or a quest bar or whatever, because uh, I, I ended up genetically. It's how I eat today versus how, when I, I first started keto, I, I think it looks a, a lot, a lot healthier nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think and part of it, I think is just that's what makes the the start and the continuation a little more sustainable. Because when whenever you do anything where it's a fairly large dietary overhaul, my biggest fear is like, is the person going to be able to sustain this? And when I see the folks doing well on it, it's usually because they made like slightly smaller adjustments along the way and then kind of normalized that then made another change when they were ready for that or took that next step when they were ready for it. So you maybe get a little more of like a, a dirtier ketogenic diet earlier on, and then they get used to the, just that those metabolic pathways. And then they're like, okay, well, let's start cleaning out some of the snicker bars and stuff like that and replace it with maybe foods that are going to be a little more like nutrient dense. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, if, if I, if I, you know, uh, one of those rare sugar craving comes along, um, and, and I know I'm going to stay, you know, low carb, um, I'm going to say, Hey, why don't I grab an apple or, you know, a pack of strawberries or, or something instead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, for me, it's like fruits, uh, some potatoes and honey are kind of the real like specific whole food, like carb concentrated sources I'll do when I, when I'm looking to add a little more carbohydrate back and yeah, you don't really miss it as much. And it's, you know, it, you don't have to be a hundred percent with it, but I find it just, you know, that's what I gravitate towards when, in terms of just what, what I even want. And I think some of it's just because you tend to feel better when you're having the healthier options. So you, you start to recognize like, I'd rather feel good than have this immediate gratification. Oh yeah, definitely start to feel healthier. And then I think another aspect of it too, is um, when, when you're not really paying to nutrition and, you know, you're eating the same foods that uh, a lot of other people are, are just eating um, mindlessly, sugar and, you know, hyper palatable chemicals and um, uh, your taste buds kind of become uh, conditioned and, and lose some of their ability. And so when, once you start um, eating more whole foods and eating a lot cleaner, 
I, I think uh, you, you start to gravitate back to how, how you're supposed to taste things. And that, that's really one of the reasons I think people lose their, their cravings or, or their desire um, to, to eat some of these candy bars and, and, and whatever. Um, I mean, one example I like, I like to give, I, I remember before trying uh, keto, um, I was drinking one of those uh, black teas. I think the company's name is uh, Tahava. And I was like, why would anybody drink this? It just tastes like water, but it looks mm-hmm. brown. So it's like, this is brown water. Like what, what a marketing scam. Like this is bull crap. <laughs> and then after years of being keto, I drank it and I tasted all this flavor. And I'm like, oh my goodness, my, my taste buds have went through a complete uh, renovation, not being bombarded with all these, all these chemicals and all these sugars like, like they used to. So I really think that has a lot to do with um, how people start this, this positive uh, momentum into, into eating healthier. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. I think like there's a way that you can, you can kind of test that out too, if you, if you haven't gone through the, the adaptation process yet. And it's like, eat something like really kind of like sour or salty and then eat something sweet after it. And you'll notice like that sweet tasting thing is like twice as potent as it would normally be if you were just kind of eating it in isolation or with another group of like sweet or slightly sweet things. And then it's like, that's kind of the same experience, but on like a whole nother level all the time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The other thing I wanted to ask you about too, is kind of along those same lines in terms of like potency is one thing I noticed is when I was kind of at the end stages of my moderate to high carb diet, you know, endurance runners, like we'll do all sorts of crazy things to keep, keep track of glycogen stores and things. And it's like, you're eating like these gels and which is basically just like a sugar's version of a honey consistency and like these engineered fuels essentially. And I, you know, I'd get to a point where I would be using them and you would notice like a response or you'd feel the response of a kick in. But over time, I felt like I had to do more of it to get that same sensation or that same energy burst I would originally. And then when I went low carb keto, I remember when I first started kind of getting through that introduction phase where I was pretty strict and started deciding, all right, there's times where I do want to bring some of this carbohydrate back to kind of execute a a big workout or, you know, whatever it is. And I noticed, I remember the first few times I used it, I was like, oh, it's got its power back. It felt like, like rocket fuel compared to what it was before. And it was like literally the same product in the same quantity. Did you kind of notice that as well, where when you go into the gym and hit a little bit of carbohydrate before a lot less kind of gave you the same output as what, uh, you would have gotten from, uh, maybe a lot more of that same thing previously. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, once, once I became fat adapted, and something I think is really cool, like, you know, say I'm going uh, to lift weights, I don't necessarily need to, to have carbohydrates or caffeine before I can just power through it and run off body fat. It might be a little bit harder. Um, you know, it might not, not feel as good, but I know I can get it done. But now also, you know, why, why feel like that when I can still be low carb, but strategically use carbs for that explosiveness, for that burst of energy? Um, I, I can use, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I'll just have a tablespoon of honey or um, this farm that I get uh, this handcrafted organic maple syrup from that I really like as well. And, you know, I only need a tablespoon of that. And it really makes a huge difference that, um, you know, if, if I was eating the, the way I, I used to eat when, when I was bigger, um, that wouldn't have really done much for me. But now it makes a world of uh, difference. And it, it's incredible thinking, wow, just one, one tablespoon of this, you know, 
50 to 100 calories, whatever, you know, 16, 17 grams of carbs is giving me this amount of energy. It's, uh, it's incredible. And, it, you know, it's just thinking about it, it seems, it seems like it's a healthy thing as well to be able to, to get so much out of so little. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes you feel a little more efficient, a little less logistically like tied down to having access to food all the time. Oh yeah, definitely. If you don't mind, you want to share with us just a sample day of like what you would, what you would typically eat if you were say doing a lower body strength session that day. Yeah, of course. So if, if, if I'm going to be lifting, um, um, I'm going to be timing the carbohydrates that I will be eating, uh, more uh, around my lift. So prior to my lift, um, I almost likely have something like a tablespoon of honey, um, or maple syrup and uh, a coffee with that as well. I love my coffee. Um, and then, and then post lift, you know, let's say I lift from 6am to about 730, probably eating at around 815. Um, maybe, um, so, uh, so some cottage cheese and, uh, six to 12 eggs, depending on how hard I lifted, how hungry I, I am. Um, moving on to lunch. Um, I usually keep lunch pretty simple. So that might be something like uh, a whole rotisserie chicken or a, a giant slab of steak or something. Um, you know, I, I feel like, uh, lunchtime, you know, that's, um, and, and midday, um, that, that's usually when people are more uh, communicative and, you know, the rest of the world's awake, everybody's doing stuff. Uh, so I like to, to make food less of a focus, just get something in that I can be real efficient. And then, uh, dinner, I'm probably going to have, um, you know, maybe around 7 PM and there's a longer gap between my lunch and my dinner than my, my breakfast and, and my lunch. Cause I, I tend to be hungry or faster with a higher appetite after I lift in the beginning of the day. So uh, dinner, it might be a little bit more complex than, than, than my lunch. Um, and, and to be honest, uh, none of what I really eat is uh, complex, but uh, in, in comparison to, you know, just buying a whole chicken and eating it, um, yeah. you know, dinner, dinner is going to be uh, multiple items. So it, it might be um, a, a pound of salmon and then a bunch of spinach and, and, and mushrooms and um, maybe some more eggs on the side there. Um, or, um, perhaps, um, you know, I'm going to have a, a steak and eggs and, and some kind of vegetable source there. So just, 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 um, you know, re really dinner is usually a couple more uh, food items, but everything's pretty simplistic, uh, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, usually when you, I find like people like yourself, you get that system in place and that protocol and it just feels better and feels more, uh, more programmed, I guess. And then you can get, get about the rest of the stuff in your life. When you kind of remove that component of like, I always have to be thinking about what I'm eating next. It's amazing how much kind of mental space it frees up because you just kind of know like, well, I'll eat when I eat. And that's, and that's how it kind of plays out. Oh yeah. I mean, de definitely. Um, you know, I think, you know, once you get into a groove, um, with, with your eating thing, things become very simple. And, and so sometimes, you know, people ask me, well, don't you get tired of eating the same things over and over? I'm like, you know, if I was tired of eating the same things over and over, I, I wouldn't be doing it because uh, I don't want to be miserable. But um, when, when you start eating healthy, um, I feel like you do start craving some of the same things over and over. Um, they, they taste good. Uh, your, your, your body wants them. And um, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great routine to, to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've got uh, a couple more questions. Did you, uh, once you started kind of having success with this, did you have a bunch of people reaching out to you and just like wanting you to coach them to do the same thing? 
some of my former uh, teammates, um, you know, they would ask me like, dude, what, what are you doing? And they'd start asking detailed questions. And, you know, even some of my, uh, you know, teammates or friends, parents would be like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to my, my daughter or my, my niece's wedding. I want to look uh, you know, a little thinner. Can, can you, can you give me some advice? It's like transformation. So, you know, I would just tell them to give me their email address and I'd write something up and send it to them. And then um, it kept happening over and over. And then um, one of my good college buddies, he was like, dude, like you're so into like your fitness and, and, and nutrition. Like why, why don't you monetize this, man? I'm like, you know, I, I have a job. I like my job. I just, you know, do this for fun. He's like, dude, pe people will pay you. I, I swear, man. And, um, you know, I just, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one day. And I, I don't really do much, um, it, trying, trying to get paid or anything. I, I would just provide friends and family with advice. And then, um, you know, after, being on Twitter and online for a few years, I kept seeing these profiles pop up and gain these big followings. And, you know, I'd see their pictures and read what they wrote. And I thought, you know, I'm, I think I'm more knowledgeable than these people. Um, and then the pandemic hit and I thought, you know, let me just start an account for fun. And I, I was uh, running an anonymous account at first. Uh, and I was just posting pictures of uh, my meal and some videos of, of my list with, with my face blurred out and people uh, started coming to my page and I decided, you know what, why be anonymous? Um, there's no reason to hide who I am. And then more and more people started liking my stuff and I, I put out some, some free guides and free resources and you know grew a little bit bigger. And then uh, eventually I just started charging for things and people were telling me what they wanted and messaging me and it, everything really just kind of grew uh, organically out of a, out of a passion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's always the best way. I think it's when when you kind of like fall into it because it's like you turn something that you were, you know, like I always like to tell tell people it's like, I'm really busy, but it's stuff I would have done for free had I had enough time when I was was also working on the side. So uh, it's, uh, it's nice to be able to kind of see that stuff kind of play out. And I think it's sort of the positive side of just the the access we have nowadays with you know, social media and internet and things like that. There's just a lot more reach and opportunities to share what worked for you with others and, and then get a grasp of like whether what you're doing is working for just yourself or if there's other people out there that it can be helpful for as well. Oh yeah. I mean, and it's great to help people. And, um, you know, it reminds me too, sometimes people see these ridiculous meals I'll post like, you know, two pounds of steak and a dozen eggs. And they'll be like, dude, well, if I work with you, like, I don't think I can eat that much. And I'm like, you know, I'm just showing what I do on here. I've, I've never recommended a client to eat the exact same way that I eat, because I realize most people aren't my size, don't have my appetite, um, aren't doing the things on a day-to-day -day basis that, that, uh, that I'm doing. And so, you know, I'm comprehensive with them, uh, figuring out what, what they're doing, their height, their weight, the, the food preferences they would like to eat and I'll, I'll build something custom, uh, to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the fun. The fun part of the puzzle sometimes is like, what's your lifestyle, what's your goals and how does that differ from mine and how do I need to kind of program things to meet, meet your needs versus what, what my goals and needs were. Mm -hmm, exactly. Uh, one other question that I'm curious about is when, when you were in college and then when you first started kind of going on the weight loss journey, then ultimately like kind of hitting that first goal, then moving into the next goals and everything else. 
had you tracked any, like doing any blood tests or anything like that along the way, or were you just all kind of focused on what was immediately ahead of you? So, um, I had some blood tests done, but not for, Hey, let me track this. Cause I want to see like what I'm doing exactly, but just for, you know, re- regular physicals, just as any person does for their health or, um, you know, for, for health insurance, you need to get like certain testing done or, or whatever to like qualify or get, get a discount with one of the companies that I was working with years ago. So I remember, um, you know, uh, asking um for some old medical records to compare my blood work to out, out of curiosity and actually one, one funny story I, I remember i had a blood test coming up that for, for a physical i was going to take and i decided you know what let me, i'm going to eat nothing but steak and butter for seven <laughs> straight days before my blood test and i'm going to compare it to my last blood test and so this is years ago so i don't remember what the numbers were at all and i'm no expert in that field um, but they tested my, my, my blood and they said, it, you know, these are some of the healthiest numbers we've uh, ever seen. You're in great shape. Whatever you're doing is, is working. And I compared them to, to my old numbers and they, they, they blew them out of the water. So from, from a blood work, uh, perspective, everything has been, uh, been amazing every time I've been tested. Interesting. I know it's, I'm always curious about that because I haven't found a consistent pattern with that, where it seems like there there's always like there's people who have like the you know they they have like a bunch of things improved but there's one thing that like blows out of the the range or something like that and then there's other folks like yourself where make a big dietary shift and then uh you know everything things everything improves or or things stay the same and i don't know that there's necessarily a specific rhyme or reason to it other than potentially genetics Yeah, I mean, you know, I was going to say, you know, in, in a bro sciencey way, I, I do think it's, it's genetics, and I also think that we're, we're predispositioned to eat a certain way. I mean, I do think there's some general guiding principles, and that we should all be eating, um, you know, whole single ingredient foods as much as, as we can. But I, I do think that some people are better off um, eating higher fat than others, and, and some people are are, are better skewing their diet towards more animal products and less, uh, you know, fruits and vegetables where, where other people should probably be eating more fruits and vegetables. And, you know, I have no, no proof for that. Nothing to, to, to back it up like with many other things, but just from seeing a lot of, you know, N equals one type situations and a lot of uh, anecdotal situations. And it just seems uh, somewhat like common sense too, that, that we're all going to be different on, on some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Uh, awesome. Well, Zach, thank you so much for taking some time out of your, your Friday evening to, to join me on this, uh, on this podcast. But before we go, uh, do you want to share with the listeners where they can find you? Yeah, on social media, uh, I'm most active on, on Twitter. And uh, my Twitter handle is Zach Strength. Uh, Zach is Z-A-C-K. And then strength, just the regular way you spell strength. I have an Instagram and um, a verified Facebook page uh, as well, but uh, those are really just uh, spillovers uh, of of my Twitter. So if you see see my Twitter, um, you'll you'll find the other accounts uh, pretty easily, and it's just a lot a lot of reposting. And I uh, recently created a TikTok as well, and that's really just a repository of um, of of my lifting. So if you want to see how I, I lift and what I like to do in the weight room, uh, you can find me there. Awesome. Well, definitely put the links to those in the show notes. So any listeners who want to go and check out what Zach's up to and follow along on his journey, those will be there. But Zach, thanks again for taking some time. 
of course, Zach, I also want to say you have a great name and um, yeah. <laughs> thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. Take care. Right, bye-bye. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks, if you are interested in adding some structure to your training program, I have some options that might interest you. Over on my website, ZachBitter.com, I have a wide range of ready-made plans that have options for beginners to advanced endurance athletes. I also have personalized plan options where I will cater a plan specific to the event you are preparing for and your personal schedule and training availability. You can also access a variety of add-on options from email collaboration to consultation calls to help guide you through your training and nutrition needs. You can access these with or without a formal plan. So head over to ZachBitter.com and let me know what you think.